So anyway, I uh, want to finish up this passage of 1 John chapter 3 today. This is our third week we've been in it. The name of the sermon is The Christian Way. Uh, if you missed the other two sermons, I, I, I try to do a little summary before we get into the new stuff. But anyway, take your Bible and turn with me to 1 John 3, and starting at verse number 13. While you're going there, I just want to remind you that these brochures are over on the back table there. This is the brochure from our mission celebration night. All of the missionaries that we support over there are listed here. This would make a really great uh, prayer reminder to pray for these people. So get it on your way out. That'll that'll be great. Okay, so 1 John 3, uh, starting at verse number 13. Here we go. Do not be, or do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. Um, I always have to pause when I read that scripture because it's just such a hard-hitting scripture. I just have to think about it. Like, he means something here. You know, we know that we've passed from death to life because we love the brethren. Uh, he who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue or in deed or in truth, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth. We shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Now, he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given to us. Father, Lord God, thank you for this passage. Thank you for this time in the service to get into your word. I pray, Lord, that you help me to preach your word the way you want. Let everyone receive it, Lord, the way you want both here, those at home, those that will watch this later in the week. Uh, Let this word be uh, anointed, Lord, and uh, may the church be encouraged by it. And we just look forward to what you're going to do through it. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen and amen. So the first part of this message uh, was an exegesis study of verses 13 through 24. Uh, Last week, we got into some of the application of it. For instance, how do we act now that we're Christians? How do we act with each other? How do we interact with the world? Uh, how do we act in a church setting? And remember uh, the, first, uh, the first part of this, uh, we talked about the chain breaker. How the Lord is breaking chains, setting us free. And now that we're free, we come to verse 13, and, and we have to think about it. Well, now that we're free from, from the addictions or whatever we had before... Uh, We're free to worship God and we're at peace with God, but the world around us hates us. And and so that that brings something something about that. And and we saw last week that uh, a way to differentiate ourselves from the world is how we love one another. 
Jesus said in John 13, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. By this all will know that you're my disciples, by your love for one another. And, uh, but I want to just reiterate this. In 1 John 4, 8, a little scripture says, God is love. And this is the, 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 the principle that we're going by. God loves people. God loves you. He loves me. He loves all people. His people love him back. His people love one another. And his people love the world around us. Which is why one reason why we're supporting those missionaries over there. Because we have a love for the world to know the truth of Jesus Christ. So everything we do is grounded in his love. And uh, verses 10 and 11 are very important to remember. Verse 10 talks about the characteristics of being a Christian. That we live righteously and that we love one another. Very important to do. And uh, the, verse number 16 is the, the standard of our love, is what Christ did for us. He gave his life for us. He showed us by example. He demonstrated his love for us. And we're to demonstrate that same love to one another. Verse 16b says, uh, this is what we ought to do now that we're Christian people. We ought to love one another. So last week we got into a little thing where I was saying that the Christian way is a difficult way. The Christian way is a way of sacrifice. It's a way of self-denial. Uh, it's a way of obedience to the Lord. It's, it's a way of loyalty to Christ. Um, it's an exclusive way. And the scripture says that it's a narrow way. The way of, of Christ, the Christian way, is a narrow way. It's a narrow road. I've been studying lately uh, this, this idea. I heard this many years ago, and I, I was troubled by it. But the, the question was... Who will have more people? Who will have more souls, heaven or hell, when it's all done? Who's gonna, which, will, which will be populated more, heaven or hell? It's a good question. Most people think hell will be more populated than heaven. Some people think because Jesus will accept children who, who died young as children, he'll accept all the children of the generations, and that, that may tip the scales in the other direction, but it's a good question. Who will get the most souls, heaven or hell? Jesus said in Matthew 7, he said, Enter by the narrow gate. Wide is the gate that, that, uh, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. There are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Aren't you glad you found it, if you found it? I'm really glad I found it. Because I was on the wide road before. I don't know about you. The wide road is easy. Everyone, anyone can go that way. But the narrow road is, is special. It's unique. It, it's, like, it's, like, it's like a special uh, relationship with God. And, and the Christian way uh, is a way with, uh, with benefits. There are great benefits in living in the Christian way. We have the benefit of eternal life, John 3.16. We have the benefit of abundant life, John 10.10. 10. The thief comes to kill, rob, and destroy, but Jesus said, I've come to give you life and give it abundantly. That's a good deal if you ask me. The, the Christian way is, a, is a, a way with benefits because we have a fulfilling life. Uh, Psalm 37.4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. The Lord knows our heart. He wants to bless us with his presence. But when I think about this, I see that there's a, a caveat here. Because in order to receive 100% of God's blessing, He expects us to give 100% of our heart back to Him. 
And putting God first in any generation is hard, but especially, I think, in this generation it's hard because there's so many distractions. So many things are crying out for our attention. But Jesus did say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He didn't say exclude the year 2021 or exclude this century. This is true for all generations. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So the Christian way is a way that, yes, life will change. It must change. Values will change. Priorities will change. The way we think, what we do, how we act will change. Luke 7 gives a great story. You you are familiar with it, I'm sure. The woman with the alabaster flask. Remember the story? She came into the house where Jesus was, and she kept crying and and washing his feet and, and anointing his feet with oil. And she kind of made a spectacle of herself, but, and people were criticizing her. But Jesus said, you see this woman right here? She's been forgiven of much, therefore she loves much. And he said, you know, if you've been forgiven of a little bit, you're going to love a little bit. You know, meaning uh, how much we receive from God in terms of forgiveness and grace is how much we'll love him back. And so the question is for the church is how much will you yield to God? Because the more you yield to God, the more you will get from God. And the less you yield to God, the less you'll receive from God. Remember a few weeks ago I had shared about my four or five salvation experiences. And it wasn't until the last one that really took root. But I had these encounters with God before. But I realized, looking back on it, I didn't surrender 100% of my heart. I didn't want to, bottom line. I didn't know I was expected to. I didn't even know that it was possible to do that. But I want to tell you now that uh, 100% surrender is expected. And it's doable by the Holy Spirit that works in us. I look at it this way. Jesus didn't give 80% when he went to the cross. He didn't give 90% or 99%. Jesus gave everything. He gave 100% for our salvation. He expects us to have to give 100% back to him. And in doing that, we experience the benefits of God, guess what? 100%. It's a, it's a, it's a no-lose situation for me, if you, if you look at it that way. So it's possible to surrender, and we have the Holy Spirit at work in us, who's working in us to, to make us surrender. So a couple of scriptures here come to, come to mind. James 4 or 5, James writes to the church, He says, it is written that the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously for you. So the spirit of God is like a jealous God yearning for a a 100% commitment. Exodus 20, regarding the Ten Commandments, make no other gods, have no other gods, worship no other gods, don't bow down before before any other god, for I am a jealous God. I'm a jealous God. 2 Corinthians 11, 2. Paul writes to the church there. He says, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. Not a sinful jealousy, but a, a godly jealousy, meaning a, a holy desire for you to surrender. Like God's jealousy for us is a holy desire for us to give everything to God. So last week we, we started with the application of this passage, and we, we did two of them. The first question was, where do I stand in the eyes of the world. Because this is a big factor. Is it true or is it false that, that I, I, feel, I feel 
I feel angst. I feel something in my spirit opposed to the way of the world. That's the way we're supposed to feel. We're supposed to feel some conviction or some uncomfortableness with the ways of the world. And so the question is, how how do you feel about that? And the the word does tell us to tread lightly in this life, to to just kind of realize our home is really in heaven. And we talked about this last week, and I don't want to get into it too much, but there is a holy tension. Because every one of us has a God-given need to love, to love and to be loved. But we'll never find that in the unredeemed worldly system. That's why there's so much teaching and so much emphasis on the body of Christ loving one another. Because in that setting of love, we have our needs met. I don't know about you, when I first came to the church many years ago, the church was a healing agent for me. I knew God loved me and God forgave me. I got that. I was saved. I was a brand new Christian. But to hear people say that they appreciated me or loved me or God had plans for me, they spoke into my life, that was a healing uh, season in my life. And, and, and also the church is an empowering agent. When the church prays over people and commissions people to do things for the kingdom, it's empowering. But that's exactly how God designed the whole thing to be. The love has to, the the church is founded on Christ's love. We're built on the love of Christ, and and the love of Christ is working in our midst. And in that setting, our needs are met. Hallelujah. I can tell you, I I give testimony. My needs were never met in the world. I tried with all my might to have my needs met. It didn't happen. At 26 years old, I was a miserable soul. But Jesus met my need. And the reality of that came into play when I started to go to church and met the body of Christ. So the question is, where do you stand in the world? Is there any difference between you and the world? Is there enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian? If that were the case. The second thing that we talked about is, I don't want to repeat the whole sermon, but I, I do love this sermon, by the way. You could probably tell. That's why it's going on in three weeks. But number two is, what's the litmus test that you've passed from death to life. And like I said last week, it's dramatic to think that we've passed from death to life. That's the analogy the Word of God uses to describe our salvation. We went from being dead to being alive. That ministers to my soul, I have to tell you. You know, I mean, I was living before, but I was dead before. But now I'm living unto God. I'm dead to myself, but living unto Christ. But what's the evidence of that? What's the litmus test? It's not what you know. It's not how loud you are. It's not what you, how long you worship. It's none of that. According to verse 14, it's how you love the brothers and sisters in the church. That's what it says. So that's the litmus test. How do you love each other, you know? Verse 16 is our example. Our standard is Christ. Verse 18 is our actions. We, we, we literally do something tangible in deed and in truth. So the Christian way so far... Well, number one is, where do I stand in the eyes of the world? Number two is, what's the litmus test? Where do I stand with that? What's my evidence that I pass from death to life? Number three is this, and this, this will be new, although I referred to it before. The Christian way is a way in which we have confidence toward God. Now, this is important because so many of us, I would include myself in this at times, feel guilty and condemned and feel blah before God. And it's not from God to feel that way. We should be confident with God. 
And this is a struggle most of us have at some point. But, but in this setting, this is, this, is what, this is where John is going. Verse 18, you know, let us love in word. Uh, let, us, let us not love in word or in tongue. Let, let us love in deed and in truth. So let us do something. And verse 19, by this, by doing those things, See, when we do something, we feel good about it. That's, that's the premise here. When we do the right thing, uh, we talk about it. We don't just say, I love everyone, or I'm not prejudiced, or this or that. We actually do something. By, by the doing, we're, we're, we're like, we have confirmation in our heart that everything's okay. I mean, verse 19, by this, by the doing, we know that we are of the truth. Don't you ever have that? I have that. Like when I'm doing something right and good and I know it's the right thing at the right time with the right... I know it's like, I get a confirmation from God. You're doing the right thing. And at the end of that verse, our hearts are assured before him. In that setting, we have this, this idea that everything's all right. Everything's good. Why in the world would the next verse be there if our heart condemns us? Why would our heart feel condemned over that? It's like a mystery. Not really, but it's kind of a mystery. But let's talk about the doing for a minute. It's all relative to what's feasible within our means to do. In other words, I, sometimes I feel like, man, I want to go to China. I want to go to South America. I, I want to go somewhere and, and preach the gospel where no one ever heard the gospel before. Right now, that's not feasible for me. I've got to find my lane. You have to find your lane and get into your sphere, get into your environment where you can do what you can do for the kingdom of God. And my lane has broadened over the years, but in the, in the first place, I didn't know there was such a thing as, I didn't know I was supposed to be in a lane. I just was going to church and going home and going to work. That was it. Then I realized I should be doing something. But I had to find my lane. But, but the lane that we get into is, is like... It's affected by things. It's affected by health. How many people have I met over the years that have a huge heart that want to do so many things for the kingdom, but their health prevents them from doing it? Or time. Time is, like, really important. What we do with our time is critical. We can't waste time on incidental things and lose the time that we, might, we could use for the kingdom. Our finances, our money, you know, our, our obligations toward family, our employment. But anyway, verse 19, I, I would look at verse 19 like this. By doing what we can do with a clear heart and a clear conscience, loving God, loving people, demonstrating things. By this, we know that we're of the truth and our hearts are at peace with God. So our actions bear witness to our hearts, and our hearts bear witness to our actions, and all is well on the home front. We're good. As in Jesus, in Hebrews 12, 2. Jesus, it says, uh, endured the cross for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, uh, endured the afflictions of unholy, unrighteous people, and now he's set down at the right hand of the throne of God. But his actions were like leading him to a place of affirmation later. So our, our actions will lead us to a place of affirmation later. So verses 18 and 19 kind of go hand in hand. We're doing, we're doing. And, and keep in mind, keep, very important, our works will never save us, ever. Our works don't save us. But our works demonstrate that we are saved. 
In other words, you do nothing. What if Jesus did nothing? He had, had this big fanfare and came to earth and celebrate Christmas and hallelujah. And he didn't do what he came to do. So, you know, so, so we have to do something for the kingdom. It doesn't save us, but it demonstrates that we're saved. But verse number 20, it bothers me. Verse 20 bothers me. I wish it wasn't there, but I, I, I've been there myself, so I know it has to be there. If, if your heart condemns why in the world would your heart condemn you? In the context of this passage, verse 18, you're doing it. Verse 19, you should have a witness between yourself and God. Why would your heart condemn you? I call it a sneak attack of Satan on the one hand. On the other hand, it could be that plus our own insecurities. Plus, maybe some unconfessed sin in our life. Maybe some damaged mentality that many of us have that says, I'll never be good enough. So no matter, no matter what we do for the Lord, our heart will, will condemn us because we feel like it'll never be good enough. I just want to say this about verse number 20. If, if you're doing what you can do, this is why I, I had to say that before. If you're doing what, what's feasible for you, now this, this will either comfort you or convict you. It'll comfort you on the hand that, okay, I'm doing what I can do. Well, all is well and good. But on the other hand, if you're not doing all you can do and you hear this, you're going to be convicted. But it's a good conviction that maybe you should be doing more for the kingdom. If you shouldn't be doing more for the kingdom, throw this part out. Right? Let the Lord speak to your heart about it. And I'll, I'll explain that. So we may say, okay, did I do enough? Did I do it well enough? What does everybody think about me? I blew it. Uh, and I, I think, you know, this has no place in this passage. But I know it does have a place in the passage because I've been there and you've been there. You try your best, you do your best, you go home at night and you think about it and you're saying, oh, why did I do that? Why did I say that? My heart's condemning me. But thank the Lord, the verse doesn't end there. There's a whole other part. See, the first part is on us. Now, if there's unconfessed sin, we've got to deal with that. We'll deal with that. 1 John 1 9. That's easy to deal with. If it's something else, maybe we just have to get into the Word and apply the Word of God in our situation. But in 1 Corinthians 4, Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and he says this kind of tongue in cheek. He, and I'm going to paraphrase it. He says he was being criticized by the church there. And uh, he said, he said, I don't care if you judge me. Uh, I don't even judge myself. In fact, if you judge me, uh, it doesn't matter because there's nothing in me that you could judge. This is pretty amazing. Paul's saying, I haven't done anything wrong. and You could judge me all you want. I know that I'm clean. And anyway, who are you to judge me? It's God who judges me. So you can't judge me anyway, even if you did. So here's Paul, who's the chiefest among sinners and, and on the one hand. Now he's clean, holy, living a pure life before God. And he, he's enjoying the presence of God as he's being ridiculed for whatever. But remember what Paul did in Philippians 3. All his credentials, Jewish and tribe of Benjamin and educated Pharisee, all this good stuff. He said, I've given it all. I gave it all up. I, I let it all go. That I could what? Know him, know the power of his resurrection, and know the fellowship of his sufferings. So Paul realized Jesus gave 100% for his salvation. Paul realized he gave 100% back to God. 
And now, he, as he's being criticized and belittled, he's got 100% blessing on him. In spite of what's going on around him, he feels confident he's okay with God. That's a great arrangement, church. And that's where we should be living, by the way. So, take your Bible. Turn with me to Romans 8 real quick. We'll come back to 1 John 3. But Romans 8, really important scripture. I find a little bit of a dilemma here because in 1 John 3, 20, it says, if your heart condemns you. But Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I see a disconnect. Do you see that? Why would my heart condemn me if there's no condemnation? That's why I know it's not from God. It's a, it's a demonic thing. It's something wrong with that relationship. But well, we all have it. But Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Some stipulations, if you're in Christ, who don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So if you take that verse, you could say, well, maybe there will be condemnation if you're not walking in the Spirit and you're walking in the flesh. You should feel some condemnation. <laughs> Hello, everybody. You should feel some conviction. You're not doing right, so yeah. You feel like, okay. But you don't have to, but if you do, that's, that's why. But if, okay, no condemnation. For the, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. That's a wonderful phrase. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. There, there's like a, uh, like a we, we, we step into a realm of fellowship with God that's very unique. But the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For, the, for what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. So there's no condemnation on us because our condemnation was nailed to the cross by Jesus. So when you go back to 1 John 3, 20, if our heart condemns us, no, our heart should not condemn us. But if it does, and it, like I said, we've all been down that road. Unfortunately, but if our heart condemns us, God is greater than your heart. Amen. Hallelujah. Let God have his way in your life, in your heart, in your existence, in your sphere of life. Let God have a way. Don't, don't settle for that condemnation. It's not of God. God's greater than that, and he knows all things. He knows your heart that you're, that you're, you're using to condemn, condemn yourself. God knows your heart. Case in point is the story of doubting Thomas. I love doubting Thomas. Not, not that he doubted, but I love Thomas. <laughs> I'm not going to believe until I put my hand where the nails went in and feel the scar the, where the spear went in. I'm not going to believe until... Jesus comes on the scene. Thomas, touch me, feel me, whatever you want to do. Oh, my Lord and my God. Jesus knew his heart. I think Thomas, no disrespect, Tom, maybe it was a lot of fluff. I'm not going to believe you ever do that. I'm not going to believe until I see it. Oh, come on. But anyway, God knew his heart. And God revealed himself to Thomas in such a way that Thomas was humbled and said, oh, my Lord and my God. And so if a heart condemns us, God knows your heart. Let him pick you up. He's greater than your heart. He knows, what's, he knows why you're feeling that way. He knows whatever happened to you 
before to make you feel this way now. Now we're getting deep. We're talking about the God of our, of our life. He knows our life, Psalm 139. He knows everything about us, past, present, future. So let God be God. Now, if we reject that, we have a different problem. We're not letting God be God. We become more, more wiser than God is, and we want to wallow in our misery, and that's not good either. Hallelujah. It's all right. <laughs> it's all right. Children are a blessing of the Lord. Man, I'll tell you what. Someone asked me one, a long time ago, does it bother you when kids are crying in the church? Honest to goodness, I never even hear them crying. Well, I heard that one, but I never hear them. But it doesn't bother me. I would rather have a crying baby in the church than no baby in the church. I don't know about you. Who, I mean, who really cares? Who really cares? You know, if you care that much, there's a church down the road. You know what I mean? But I'm just saying. It's just like a dirty church. People say, well, the church is always so dirty. I say, thank the Lord there are people in the church making it dirty. Get some people to clean it up. All right, anyway. So, so if our heart condemns us, uh, God is greater than your heart. And now, now verse 21, okay. Beloved, you know, brother, sister in Christ, if our heart does not condemn us, ah, this is the goal. To live life not living under condemnation. Because Jesus nailed it all to the cross. Hello. So what are we doing condemning ourselves or condemning each other? That's so wrong. So, but if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence with God. We have confidence toward God. We, you know, we, we're, we're good. In fact, you know, he, he made us friends. The word says once we were enemies with God, he's made us friends of God. Why would we feel condemned? We're friends of God. Now, I, I realize, you know, not everyone's there because it's like, how, how can I really be friends with God? I, I have so much stuff on my mind and in my spirit. Man, just like, like this morning, worshiping God. I know we lingered for a while, but in that setting of worship, man, the Holy Ghost is doing things. We can't even think or imagine what he's doing. He's touching our spirit. He's touching the soul of us deep down inside. That's why I wanted to just linger and let God do what he was going to do. But in those settings of worship and pouring out, our mind is healed. Our spirit is healed. Our, our being is comforted by the presence of God. Let, let the Lord heal those hurts in your lives that make you condemn yourself. You know, it's, not, it's no longer necessary to do that. Jesus nailed it all to the cross. We walk away scot-free. Hallelujah. So verse 21, which is the goal, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. Praise the Lord. I want to have confidence toward God. And then the last thing is this. The Christian way. In the Christian way, we are ruled by the Holy Spirit. No, notice how this flows. So really, verses 13 through 24 is, is like one chunk. But you get into verse 21. If our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And the next thing he's talking about is prayer. So yeah, we have confidence with God. Our heart doesn't condemn us. We're good with God. So our prayer time is going to be enlightened. It's going to be alive. It's going to be empowered because... All the sin is taken care of. All the junk is taken care of. We have fellowship with God. 
So he says, uh, so we're ruled by the Holy Spirit. But verse 22 says, whatever we ask, we receive from him. Uh, It's understood that we're asking according to his will. Because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Well, the Lord hears everybody's prayer regardless of if they do that or not. Right? I mean, can you relate to that? Like, maybe you're not in God's will, but you're praying to God. You have to know he still hears you. Right? He hears every prayer. But when you're following the commandments and you're, uh, you're doing the things that are pleasing in his sight, it's like a child. When, you, when your kids are in a good relationship with you, man, you feel, you feel good with them. You, you love the other ones too, but the ones that are you know, drawing, you have a special relationship with them because they're drawing close to you. The same thing. We're doing what we're supposed to do. We're living righteously. We're loving the brethren. When we pray, our prayer time is alive in Christ. Isn't that good? Then 23, this is his commandment. That you believe in the name of Jesus Christ. Believe in Christ. Believe. Believe in Christ. And love your brothers and sisters. That's it. That's the commandment. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and spirit. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, love God and love people. And then verse 24. um, Got a little mixed up here, folks. (laughs) Verse 24, abide in him. That's, abide in him. He's the vine, we're the branches. We can't produce fruit unless we're abiding in the vine. But this we know that we're abiding in the vine by his Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. So we're a Pentecostal church. That word that came forward earlier today, by the way, that was a good word. Come to the river. That's a Pentecostal thing right there. Absolutely. Come to the river. Come where there's life and hope and and, and provision. Come to that place where God is, and he'll meet your need. So we know that we abide in him, verse 24, by the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 16 says this. His spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Do you know that to be true? The opposite is true, too. If we're not, you know, our spirit does not bear witness with his spirit. And vice versa. But if we're, if we're running on all cylinders, the way John presents, there's a connection with God. And we know that we know we're with God. So we, we're abiding with him, con- convinced and convicted by the Holy Spirit that's dwelling within us. So I would say this. Do you feel that? Do you feel the Holy Spirit? I was always I, I was afraid to say feel for a long time, but I don't I, I I'm not afraid anymore. Because I feel the Holy Spirit sometimes. I feel him. I sense the Holy Spirit. I don't think it's wrong to say, do you sense God? But see, sometimes, like in our culture, there's so many things going on. We put all this on the back burner. We're insensitive to God. That doesn't mean God's not moving or working or speaking. He probably is. We're just not hearing him because we're too preoccupied with everything else so that's why i'm such a strong believer of church and bible study and worship and the basics because that's when we get alone with god we make priorities and we we give god the opportunity to speak so in conclusion of this section i know i left out one scripture philippians 4 i call it the the positive scripture 
whatever is true and pure and holy and righteous and praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Meditate on good things. Don't meditate on bad things, but meditate on positive things. And let the Holy Spirit be at, at work in your heart. So the Christian way, number one, what's your position in the world? Does anyone even know you're a Christian? You know? And I don't mean be preaching, hitting somebody over the head with your Bible. I'm saying by your lifestyle. Does anyone know that you're a Christian? What is the evidence of your faith? It's not what you know. It's not how many scriptures you could quote. It's how you love each other in the body of Christ. That's how important that is. How's your confidence? How's your confidence level? Are, are, are you always beating yourself up? And, and I don't mean that disrespectful. I've been down that road myself many times. But I'm realizing, no. It's time to say no to that. I want to stand on the word of God. I'm a new creation. I, I'm filled with the spirit of God. I don't need to feel condemned anymore. If my heart can, Well, God is greater than my heart anyway. And God knows all things. God knows where I'm at. He knows what I'm feeling. He knows what I'm thinking. And do you have the Holy Spirit anointing? On your life because we need the Holy Spirit anointing on our lives we need the presence of God and I don't think it's old-fashioned and I don't think it's outdated to say we sometimes we just need to tarry at the altar or tarry at home or tarry somewhere wait on the Lord get alone with God and everyone's always checking your phone and checking the internet checking your email checking your Instagram doing this and doing that there's like no time anymore But the basic thing is the basic thing. We need to make time. We need to cut out some time to be alone with God. That's why I I feel so strongly about church and even live stream is so important now. Some people can't get to church. They depend on live stream and it's a blessing. It's good. So uh, why don't we stand together? We want to do two things. We want to read verse 16. And then we want to pray for a few people before we close out today. But verse uh, 16 says, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Can we say it together? By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. One more time. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Every head bowed for just a moment. Just want to give you an opportunity to respond to this. But is there anybody here today that you heard all about the Christian way? And granted, it's a difficult road. It's a narrow road. But you realize on the wide road that you're on, that's not going to make it. And you want to get on the narrow road. You want to receive Christ into your life and start your journey on the narrow road. It's going to take an act of repentance before God, an act of humility humility to say, God, I need you in my life. I invite you into my heart. So before we go any farther, and I want to ask you, just raise your hand that I could see if that's you today. I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want to get on the narrow road. I've been on the wide road too long. I want to get on the narrow road that will take me to heaven. Anyone like that? Anyone like that? 
Anyone at home, write down in the comments. We'll get back to you later. I promise I'll check this afternoon. Secondly, maybe there are some here today and that 100% thing's been bothering you. You've given them 98%, but that 2% you're hanging on to, or that 10% you're hanging on to. But today you realize you're never going to get the full blessing of being a Christian by hanging on to that 2% or 10% or whatever. And you want to let go of that percentage. You want to give it to the Lord. Anyone like that today? I want to give it up to God. Yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you for that. And thirdly, I just want to just a show of hands. Who, who has a loved one in your family that you've been praying for to receive Christ? And it seems like you've been waiting a long time. All right, most of us. Me too. We're going to pray for all of that today. Father, Lord, we come before you today and uh, with, with some that raise their hand for giving up that 2% or that 10% or whatever percent. Lord, I think we all with, with one accord can say, Lord God, I surrender all to you today. I give you everything. I don't want, I don't want to be a half-hearted Christian. I don't want to be a 50 percenter. I want to give you all of my heart. So Lord, today uh, we confess our sin before you and we receive you as Lord and we give you our entire hearts. Our entire lives are presented to you, Lord. So come, Lord, and we receive your grace 100%. We receive what you did 100%, and now we give back to you that 100%. We just pray your blessing over our lives in the days and weeks ahead as we move forward. And, Lord, for those of us that have loved ones that are, that are not coming around yet, we're praying, we're trusting. Lord, we pray that our example, the Christian life that we live, would not be a stumbling block but would be a, a, a means by which they could see Christ in us and, and want what we have. So, Lord, let our light shine among our family members and loved ones, but let them also come to a place of total surrender and yielding to you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. At this time, I want to I call Tim McCall up here. Tim, come on up here. And... Uh, Dottie, I want to call you up here, too. I know you have an important court date coming up. And I just want to pray for these two. I want you all to pray with me. Our brother Tim is going to another church starting next week. Uh, he's been asked to, uh, to preach at the English uh, session of the Spanish church up in Lawrence. So, Tim, thank you for being with us these four years. This isn't the end. I'll see you soon. But I want to pray over you. And uh, Dottie has an important court date tomorrow. I want to pray for both of these. Wednesday. So can you pray with me? In fact, can we have some brothers stand with Tim and some sisters stand with Dottie? Come on up. You know what? Spread out a little bit. Tim, move down a little bit. That's all. If you feel so led, come on up here. I want to pray for these two people. Dear Lord, we thank you for our brother Tim today. Thank you, Lord, for his talents his skill on the drums and thank you for his uh, commitment to work with our youth group for many many months uh, we pray lord your blessing over him as he gets ready to uh, step into another ministry lord bless him let him be a great teacher preacher of the word of god let there be good fruit that follows him and uh, let him always feel a connection here with us so lord we send him off 
with, uh, with, um, with confidence in our blessing. We pray, Lord, that through his life, the kingdom of God will advance and uh, that we would see the fruit of his labors even from Haverhill over into Lawrence. So thank you, Lord, for Tim. We pray your blessing over him and his family in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord. Father, we lift up Dottie to you. As she gets ready for a serious court date, Lord, on Wednesday, we pray, Lord, that you would use the, the judge and the lawyers and everyone to work out your plan for her life. Lord, thank you that she surrendered to you. Thank you that she's, uh, she's growing in you. And, uh, Lord, this is a bump in the road right here. We, we just want to give it to you and pray for your touch to be there and for her to get through it without any legal complications. Let it be done and over with. Let her be free to, to be here and to worship with us. And so, Lord, we just surrender that day to you and pray for your Holy Spirit to anoint everything that takes place that day. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And, Father, Lord, as we make our way from this place, we pray your blessing upon everyone here. Let us all sense your anointing as we make our way out. Let us have a good rest of the day. Bless our evening prayer time at 6. And, Lord, let us have a good, healthy, safe week coming up. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Come on and greet Tim if you can before you go.